Blog Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Nick from the Marlins Catch Podcast. Make sure to follow us at Marlins Catch on Twitter and Instagram. For more Marlins content, check out our website at themarlinscatch.com. The Marlins Catch Podcast is sponsored by the Baseball Podcast Network. And you can follow the Baseball Podcast Network on following platforms. Instagram, Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter, Baseball Podcast One, without the T. YouTube and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. You can listen to the Marlins Catch Podcast live on blogtalkradio.com or download the Marlins Catch Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Gracias. Welcome back, guys, to the Marlins Catch Podcast. I am your host, Nick, joined here by Eli. Eli, come on in. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. It'll be a good time. Of course. So, yeah, of course, you guys have seen that the first week of Marlins spring training is officially over, and we saw a lot of interesting stuff going on. Of course, the first game against the Cardinals and the game earlier today at 1 o'clock against the Tampa Bay Rays. So um, I guess we can just jump right into that. Um, you know, uh, Eli, we could talk about what we've seen from that game. So I guess we could just start off with the first game, uh, the Cardinals. We lost to the Cardinals 11-1 to as, you know, our uh, offense wasn't doing too well. We, you know, we got, we got some hits early, of course. And, um, and you know, the pitching, just, you know, we let up a lot of hits to this the Cardinals team, so we must discuss that a little bit. Uh, I'm going to recap that game first. I do believe that the hits, you know, we only had three hits, but I definitely saw a major improvement in Lewis Brinson that game. Uh, hitting a double, of course, but they got taken out of the game a little early. Uh, Eli, you could. what are your thoughts about the first game, 11-1, we lost to the Cardinals? What are your thoughts about the offense and the pitching in that game? Well, I mean, the great part about spring training, especially early in spring training, is you have so many different players involved in the game that somebody has to do well. Like Out of all those players that take the field, somebody has to make a positive impression. And in that one, it was definitely Sandy Alcantara who got the start, starting the first game of spring, which is, I guess, a little nice honor for him. And uh, he was great. I mean, the ball, what his stuff is so special. And not just the velocity, but how it moves. And he got a couple really dominant strikeouts in that game where – the Cardinals hitters really couldn't track where his fastball was going, and that was just really encouraging because that was against real major league hitters, and if he's going to be a real major league starter, he's got to be able to overpower guys like that. Um, same thing as you mentioned with Brinson. He he was really good in spring training last year, you might remember, and I mean right now, mm-hmm. um, right here from this opener, he got off to that really good start, hitting the ball hard. He stole a base. He stole third base, and that's something that we didn't see from this team a lot last year. Um but then we got to point to the negatives in that game, which were just a couple huge innings against the bullpen. Um, R.J. Alvarez and Brett Graves left five earned runs apiece, which is something you wouldn't see in a regular season game, leaving guys out there to get shelled, but they needed to get their work in. And, uh, I mean, that's going to be the big weakness to this team probably this year is that bullpen where you have a lot of guys that just don't have track record or very uneven track record or um, – or guys that like Brett Graves, for example, who struggled in the major leagues last year. So there's a lot of pitchers in there, some of them that aren't quite ready for this, um, but it's going to take a long spring to actually figure out who in that pen is someone that's going to stick around for the real games. Yeah, going back to Sandy Alcantara and how well he pitched, you know, I think he fanned four batters in two innings of work, and I really saw a lot of signs that I was very happy about. And, of course, Sandy Alcantara, former pitcher on the Cardinals, uh, definitely sweet to get that, and Lewis Brinson, of course, being aggressive, stealing third base. Uh, you saw Victor Victor Mesa uh, come in at center field, actually, and you know, he actually tried to make a diving uh, catch there, but it popped out of his glove. But the effort's all that we need to see, and yeah, guys like R.J. Alvarez, who let up five runs and manly not pulling in from the game, you definitely will not have to be seeing that in the season like we're getting on that, but definitely some good signs to see for the first game. I know the score doesn't maybe look like it was, but there was definitely um, encouraging signs to definitely see in that first game. And moving on to the second game uh, that the Mullins played was against the Pirates. 
we saw a lot of encouraging signs that game too. Uh, they did lose ten to six. They def- they put up six runs. Uh, I was pretty happy about seeing that. And Lewis Brinson actually hit a homer, his first solo shot of spring training, and the Marlins put up thirteen hits that game against the Pirates, which was very intriguing to see. The pitching was okay. Trevor Richards got a two earned runs in three innings pitch. But I've always liked Trevor Richards. I think he's uh, definitely versatile. Like He's a guy that you need to bring in. You need to bring in a starter. You can definitely rely on him to give you a solid outing. But seeing Drew Stackenrider go one inning pitch with zero runs, uh, it was just intriguing. You know, the hitting was all there, I think. Monte Harrison had two hits as well. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's very encouraging signs for the Marlins in that game. Yeah, um, they battled back because they fell behind in that first inning immediately. Trevor Richards gave up a home run early on, and they were down by three runs at one point, down 5-2, to two, and they came back. Then they fell behind again, and in the top of the ninth, they rallied to tie it again. And they almost, um, in spring training, if you get through nine innings and there's no winner, they usually just call it a tie. And if they had gotten one more out in that game, then they make out of there with a tie instead of taking the loss. But um, in that ninth inning, it was Dixon Machado who tied it up with an RBI hit. And um, he's just one of a bunch of guys who's an on-roster invitee to spring training where he's not someone they'll they'll build around. They're not someone they really invested in. But um, he'd been with a couple of organizations in the past. He has a little bit of major league service. And he got two ribbies in that game. And he'll need to have those kind of performances to really stand out from everybody else because – He's playing shortstop. He's not going to be a starting shortstop for this team, but uh, if he's going to squeak onto the opening day roster or even like be one of those guys they call up from AAA during the year, he needs to show you know some of this potential with the bat. So that was really important for him, the fact that he had a couple of those hits. Garrett Cooper had a couple of those hits, and that's great to see because he's coming back from really a lost year in 2018 where he hurt his wrist early on and then he aggravated it and he just never got going. So he's just trying to make it through spring healthy, and then he could be the kind of player that the Marlins thought they were getting when they originally traded for him. Monte Harrison, as you said, I mean, the offense was was good in that game, and it was really promising, uh, especially because a lot of young guys started. Uh, Really, one of the most disappointing parts of that whole game was Victor Victor Mesa because he had to get taken out uh, because he hurt his hamstring running down the first baseline. And I know he's a guy that you personally were a big fan of and really optimistic about Mm -hmm. heading into this year. Um, and we don't know exactly how serious the injury is, but he had to leave the game early. He wasn't available uh, today, on Monday, and it could be a couple weeks, really, until he returns to game action, depending on the issue with his hamstring. Um, So that was just a little concerning, the fact that he didn't even have a hit his first couple games, and now he could be missing an extended period of time. Well, of course, playing Cuba is definitely very different to playing over here in uh, Florida and the United States. Uh, going back to Dixon Machado, uh, I think you are right about that. I think the battle is between Miguel Rojas and Dave Hubert over that job. But I definitely did like I did like what we saw out of Dixon Machado. Uh, I was I was very I was impressed, you know, with Dixon. I thought he played well. Of course, coming into that role uh, into that role there, team. I saw San Diego coming. He didn't get a hit as well. And Victor Victor Messer's injury definitely uh, kind of sucked. He did walk off the field on his own power. Uh, which was a definitely a it was a good sign, of course, and you know we we all, we all expect big things from him as a Mullins fan. And Nixon Machado had two hits in that game against the Pirates, and the pitching again, you know, you can't be letting up ten runs. Jose Quijada got four earned runs in in only and with two only didn't get through one inning, and you know this is not going to help your chances of getting on the roster. Of course, Manley pulled him out right after, but. Yeah, you you want to see players definitely get a chance in spring. This is what it's about, of seeing if the guys are going to make the team or not. But definitely some encouraging signs in that game. One of them, again, is Lewis Brinson. Hopefully Victor Victor Mesa will be healthy again due to that injury that he happened that happened to him. But, but yeah, so we, we were currently 0-2 at the moment. But now going into the game tonight, today, we won 5-2. Uh, well... Uh, happy about the win today with the Rays rolling four, but uh, you know, Rossell Herrera is really fast in my opinion. I watched him run down the baseline, did good. This of course went over three, but Austin Dean, two RBIs, two hits, and three at bats. 
Went two for three. I was very impressed with. I've been impressed with Austin Dean all spring right now. For the first three games, I've been impressed with Dean coming in clutch and getting the RBIs. Uh, I was very happy with. Uh, not much, not much action with the hits as well either. Only six hits on the day for the fish. But Jose Urania, you know, joined the two walks, one strikeout, three hits, and one point two innings pitch. But Holland Garcia came in, got the job done. Riley Farrell pitched well. He had two strikeouts in one inning. Jeff Brigham pitched well. The pitching was great today. I think they really stepped up to the plate today. And pitching, definitely encouraging signs to see. Going to spring, of course, these guys got all spring to, you know, work on their mechanics and get to where they want to be. And I'm just very happy at what they've been doing. And, you know, I just think they're running the path to the right direction here. Yeah, over, over at my website, Fish Stripes, for every single spring game, we're handing out, like, a player of the game award for each game. And today... It was Austin Dean for those couple hits that he mentioned, including a two-run single, and that's what put them ahead early on. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It's important for him. He's coming off a – last year he won Minor League Player of the Year for the Marlins organization. Uh, he really impressed a lot of people and showed probably more potential than they thought he had to force his way to the big leagues. And right now he's just trying to back that up. He's trying to prove it was no fluke. He wants to make sure that he can have a full year in the big leagues this time and only performances like that. Uh, and Riley Farrell, um, he's a guy that they took him as a Rule 5 draft pick from the Houston Astros organization, which means that if they're going to hold on to him, he has to be in the majors. They can't send him down to the minors um, unless he's – and they can't keep him off the roster unless he's hurt. He's a guy that needs to perform to prove that they made the right pick. And, you know, this wide-open bullpen battle, like it was great to see not just that he got through a scoreless inning, but he picked up a couple of strikeouts along the way, and that was – a big issue for the Marlins last year and really for most of the last few years is that they just don't have a lot of pitchers that get swings and misses and get strikeouts. And over time, if you're going to allow too many balls in play and too much crazy things to happen, your your team is going to suffer for it. So the fact that he actually has that fastball velocity to get it by guys, uh, that was really encouraging to see. As long as he knows where the ball is going, he's a guy that's going to be really successful. That's a big question. So it was nice that they got a win today. Um, it's uh, you know you don't take any of these too seriously, especially early on where uh, you're getting so many different players into the game. So much can happen, and there's not as much strategy involved as the real stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is definitely uh, trending in the right direction. Yeah, you know, of course, being a Rule Five draft pick, you, know, you need to come on here and you need to prove that you're here to stay. And Farrell pitched extremely well today, putting up two strikeouts in an inning. But getting into the award, like you mentioned earlier, uh, on fish stripes, you had Austin Dean as your player of the game. Let's get the player of the week. I know three games went down uh, already. We're one and two. And I want to have the uh, awards here. I want to do this, uh, our awards here, hopefully every Monday night we can have for the week. But I'm going to go with, for the player of the week, I'm going to hand it out to, of course, we're going to do player of the week. We're going to do pitcher of the week. And then we're going to have rookie of the week. But I'm going to give it to Lewis Brinson. Uh, I saw a tremendous improvement in watching him bat in the first game. I saw him taking pitches like he hasn't before. He, his pitch recognition was off the charts of what it used to be. He wasn't swinging at outside pitches like he usually was. Uh, he had a home run, a double. I think he's batting 600 right now because he didn't play today. But I am very impressed with Lewis Brinson, and I am going to give him the player of the week for right now. Who's yours? Uh, I'm going to agree with you on that. Lewis Princeton as well. And uh, for some of the same reasons that you said, where big issue with him last year, at least during the regular season, was being a little over-aggressive and also just not really recognizing pitches as well as he needs to to make contact. And you saw that definitely was positive in this case. He's uh, hitting the ball hard, running well. He looks healthy. And um, if he keeps this up, he's really primed for a really big sophomore season. Uh, so when we get back, we're going to go continue with your awards, go to Rookie of the Week, and then go to Pitcher of the Week. Uh, but we'll take a little break right now. This week, on the newest episode of FanCast, a Phillies podcast, we will be discussing the different signings and potential rumors surrounding Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Yes, Manny Machado will not be donning the red pinstripes as he has signed a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. We will discuss where the Phillies go from here 
and if John Middleton, Matt Klintak, and the rest of the front office will be amped up in order to secure Bryce Harper. After Bryce Harper and other mega free agent talks, will the Phillies pursue Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, the two other main free agents left on the board? All this and more on the newest episode of FanCast. Make sure to tune in as Bryce Harper will be signing soon. All right, guys, we are back from break. Uh, we will be continuing the awards uh, here for the players. Our next one it goes to the pitcher of the week. Uh, Eli, I don't know if you have the same one as me here, but uh, I'm going to go with Sandy Alcantara. Uh, I think that I think he's put up the most impressive start out of all of them against the Cardinals. Of course, the Cardinals are his former team. I think he had the most impressive one out of all. Uh, he looked like he was. I'm going to tell you, he wasn't throwing much balls, I'll tell you that much. He he was hitting strikes, and I was very pleased with that. His command looked very good intact. Um, I just saw, I just saw a tremendous improvement. Not that Sandy wasn't doing good. I thought Sandy was, he was doing great all year, uh, putting up three strikeouts with only one walk and one hit in two innings pitch. Definitely impressive by Sandy. So I'm going to have to give it to Sandy Alcantara as the pitcher of the week. Yeah, I agree with you again with Sandy, guy that just looked terrific in that first game. Uh, really, the only issue with him is whether he knows where the ball's going and get a heading in the count. Uh, he had one case where he did fall behind 3-0, and he ended up walking a guy. You don't want to give away opportunities like that. But aside from that, there's really no complaints. Uh, so many guys pitched this week, even though it was only three games, so I just want to shout out a couple other guys that were good. The fact that Zach Gallen, who really struggled last spring training in 2018, first appearance on Monday, pitched a scoreless inning and got a couple strikeouts. He's a guy to watch out for. Uh, Riley Farrell, as we mentioned, a really impressive inning also on Monday. Um, but of the guys that actually went multiple, of the starters at least, for sure, uh, Sandy was the one that was most encouraging so far. And uh, it's going to be stiffer competition this coming week where you have a full slate of games every single day. Uh, but uh, So it'll be a really fun competition, I guess, between Sandy and the other young starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Eli, do you want to take over and do the rookie one first, and then I'll do it after you? Yeah, I'm going to surprise you with that. That's the first one where we're going to, we're going to differ. Uh, I'm going to go with okay. an outfielder, but not the one you're thinking of. I'm going with Harold <laughs> Ramirez, and he's a guy okay. that they signed as a minor league free agent. He was with the Toronto Blue Jays organization last year, never played in the majors yet, um, but he is batting three thirty three so far, and he's played in every game. Uh, he's scored a run in each of the last two games. Uh, he, we have a big featured article coming out on him on Fish Stripes this week on Tuesday uh, that's going to really go into why he's so interesting. But he's a guy that he's been a good hitter throughout his minor league career, but he's still really young, just 24 years old. And really the only question with him in his career has been elevating the ball and uh, his athleticism because he's had some injuries in the past. But he looks really healthy so far in these first three games. He had a nice catch in left field in the very first game on Saturday where he showed good athleticism for a guy that's a little bit overweight. Uh, but I expect him to get a lot of playing time now that, like, Victor Victor is dealing with a little injury. And um, some of these veteran outfielders aren't yet playing games yet. This is a big opportunity for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's rookie of the week next week as well. Um, and he's a guy that could be playing in the majors uh, later this year. Yeah, Harold Ramirez, I, that catch, you know, of course, being down 11-1, making the effort to go out there and make a play is definitely fantastic to see. But I'm going to go with the uh, more familiar name here, Monte Harrison, uh, having two hits uh, on yesterday's game against the Pirates. Uh, didn't, you know, came today, didn't get a hit today, but having two hits yesterday and him coming in here, he he, he looked, the light high light kick was gone. It was it was still a kick, but it wasn't as high as it before, which reduces strikeouts. And he knows that he worked on his bat all all off season, and I was very impressed on how he hit the ball. Of course, the game was not televised; I had to listen via radio. But I was reading articles. I actually did see some. I did see him batting due to videos on Twitter, and I just saw him really be, feel comfortable at the plate. And knocking in two single singles was definitely. Um, Encouraging to see him being a young player. I consider him to be the big power bat for the Marlins in the future. Hopefully batting fourth and being the big guy in the future for the Fish. So it's definitely encouraging to see both by Brinson and 
you know, Monte Harrison as those two would definitely be a big duo in the future. And I just can't wait to see that happen. What are your thoughts about Harrison? Yeah, for sure. There's a couple different types of players in the minor league system. And they're the guys like Harrison who have so much promise that if everything really clicks for him, if he gets that swing down right where he's comfortable with his timing and where he could really use his raw strength, then he's going to be a star. Uh, But it's still a big question mark in that uh, we saw last year in the minor leagues, he just couldn't make, put the bat on the ball. And it's really as simple as that. And um, so there's still a lot of work that has to go into it. And uh, sometimes there's some luck involved as well. Uh, And then there are guys that are uh, more humble, like uh, Austin Dean or Harold Ramirez, where um, they're probably never going to get to that all-star level, no matter what happens, just because, um, there's just some realities of what you can do physically, what you're capable of, the gifts that you're born with. Uh, but those guys have really natural hit tools where, if nothing else, they're going to be able to put together competitive at-bats and move runners over, do the fundamental things that can be really valuable to a team. And those, those are guys that could eventually help you contend for a championship, even if they're not going to be that centerpiece. So you need to have that mix in any organization between the guys that have that ultimate potential and then the ones that are really quality fallback plans and I think that's what I'm most excited about with the organization moving forward and not just in the outfield but a lot of different positions where they're putting this mix together of guys that have really sexy potential and the guys that um that have the fundamentals down pat and you put them all together long term you factor in all the craziness that can happen in baseball but you're still going to have a competitive team at the end of the day just because you have enough different types of players that really complement each other well and can bring the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of encouraging signs sign to see by the players in spring. But we are going to move over to the mailbag questions. You guys saw via Instagram off Baseball Podcast Network's Instagram story. You could ask them in right there. I did not have one up this week, but next week I will have them up for you. Benson, we're going to cue you in here, and you can tell us the questions, and we'll answer them. All right, guys. First question is from the Sports Ace. How do you think the Marlins' future is bright with a lack of elite prospects and big league talent? Well, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with that question. Uh, the lack – you said the lack of prospects that we have? Well, uh, lack of I have to prospects. disagree with you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I have to disagree with that. You know, yeah, I don't think uh, he's seen our farm system because definitely a lot of underrated prospects in there. And people keep saying what we got back for Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna wasn't enough when, uh, of course, we could have gotten a little more. But I think what we got back was just fine. I think we have guys like Sandy Alcantara, San Diaz, Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jordan Yamamoto, all those guys, Zach Gallon. I think what we got back is enough. And I think that. You know, the Marlins won't be competing this year. You're right. But, of course, a major league roster is not as talented as all the other major league rosters out there in the MLB, but our farm system is up and up and coming. And this is definitely going to factor into the future of our team, as I believe our future is in this farm system right now if we could develop the players right. Yeah, and, and yeah. one thing that I want to point to specifically is the real Muto trade and who they got back in return from the Phillies. Uh, with the two guys in particular in the middle, Sixto Sanchez, who's now their number one prospect, uh, a guy that is really a frontline starting pitcher in the making. The only question is whether he stays healthy or not. Just 20 years old, and um, the fact that he's already dominated competition that's a lot better than he is. He finished last year with an elbow injury, but he throws triple digits. He has a nasty breaking ball. He knows where the, his pitches are going. He's a guy that's going to be a huge reinforcement down the road. And in that same trade, getting Jorge Alfaro, who is in some ways similar to Real Muto that they traded away in that he has really amazing athleticism in a lot of different areas. And if he adjusts his plate approach, he's a guy that can really unlock all that potential and be an, an all-star himself uh, as soon as these next couple of years. But that's in addition to everybody they already had. And the one thing I go back to is the, the depth that the organization has, even if they are missing – obvious superstars outside of Sixto Sanchez. They just have so much depth coming up in the higher levels of the minors at a bunch of different positions where if one guy fails, there's going to be another guy that's really chasing right behind him to fill that void. Um, 
some of the really new guys entering the organization, those are ones that you need to watch too. They're top draft picks from 2018, and really this coming draft is a big test. So when you have a guy outside the fan base like that that's questioning um, what there is to look forward to, um, uh, one thing that's going to really make or break this rebuild is the draft coming up these next couple of years where they're going to pick number four overall, 2019, and early in those rounds going all the way down. And then if we're expecting them to be bad this coming season, that means the following draft, again, they pick near the very top. And so with that kind of access, and more importantly, with the kind of leadership that they brought into the organization, they brought in guys that have a track record of identifying top talent, getting the most out of them. So you need to put your trust in those kind of leaders that they have in the organization to develop these guys. And they put a lot of detail into finding the right coaches and front office members in order to lead this rebuild. And uh, I think that's something that if you're a rival team in the division, you got to be really scared of that a few years down the road, that they have guys leading this team that know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and a lot of talk about, you know, Sixto Sanchez, like people saying, yeah, he's going to get Tommy John surgery because of the elbow and that he throws 100 miles an hour on each pitch. Like you can't you can't say that like, he's gonna happen. I mean, it can happen to any pitcher in the MLB. And going to the draft, I hope we drop the shortstop this year because there is a lot of young shortstops that are available. Just like Bobby Wood Jr. Hope he's available at number at number four. Three, but that's a different uh, topic for another time. But Benson, you can go in and ask the next question. All right, this is our last question. It's from Sam. Should the Mesas change their name to avoid confusion? It's like there's only one possible name that their dad knows. Uh, I don't think that's really an issue, being that one of them is Victor Victor Mesa and the other one's Victor Mesa Jr. I'm guessing if they're both in the, in the MLB at the same time, one of them will just say Mesa and the other one will say Mesa Jr. But then it'll look like that's his son. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a problem with it. Uh, not now, at least. Maybe when they're both in the MLB, maybe one of them can change it too. I, I, I mean, they're both the same last name, so I don't see what how they could really change it because the jerseys don't really won't really mean anything. But I don't really see that there's being an issue right now about the names. Yeah, I don't know if that was a serious question. I think it's a lot of fun, yeah. really, with what the the name situation right now, isn't it? The fact that the older brother goes by Victor Victor, and the other one is. Victor Jr. and their father's name yeah. is Victor as well, but I mean, I mean that just draws attention to them, and uh, you're going to be able to tell them apart. There's um, a five and a half year age difference between them, and uh, the younger brother is already taller than Victor Victor is, and they have different skill sets, and uh, they bat from different sides of the plate. So it's never going to be a confusion issue, and it's a good problem to have. If they're both in the majors at the same time for the Marlins, that's a great problem to have because right now Victor Jr. is still just a teenager. He hasn't played any professional baseball yet. Um, So, again, it's a good problem to have just because they're talented, um, because they're going to be really uh, beloved by this community, the fact that they have their Cuban heritage and that they really embrace that, and the reason that they were free agents. They didn't have to sign with the Marlins the way they did. But uh, choosing to do so and, uh, I mean, accepting a pretty good signing bonus along the way, I mean, that that's something that fans really notice and appreciate. So uh, I, they're going to be, whatever they're called, they're going to be guys that are really appreciated around here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, people saying that they should change the name again, going to the, like, what's going to look like in the back of the jersey. <laughs> it's still going to be the same last name. Everyone, it's kind of funny how everybody in the family is Victor. So there's a lot of Victor in the family. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't necessarily think there will be a problem for that. But, I, you know, people – I mean, I, it's a fun question to ask, I guess. But I, I'm guessing they were kind of joking around when they asked that. But, you know, it's all right. <laughs> but uh, we're going to change gears here and move into our next topic. And we are going to talk about five reasons to be optimistic about the Marlins. But before we do that, we are going to head into a quick break. And when we get back, we will be saying our five reasons to be optimistic about the Marlins. Tune in to Pinstripe Talk this Wednesday at 5. We will be discussing everything going on in the land of the New York Yankees. We talk about free agency. 
and Manny Machado recently signing with the Padres, what that means for the Yankees, and Bryce Harper, and him continually being a free agent, and if the Yankees might just sneak in and nab the superstar. We talk about the Yankees and their offseason. Have they done enough to take the throne away from the Boston Red Sox atop the American League East? All this and much, much more this Wednesday at 5 o'clock, Pinstripe Talk. Me and my co-host break down the Yankees. Tune in this Wednesday at 5. Do not miss it. All right, we are back from the break. Uh, Eli, I think the way we can back and forth here, I'll say one reason, then you'll go two, I'll go three, and you'll go four, and then I guess I'll go five, unless you want to just kind of like say one more at the end. But I guess I'm going to go with number one. Uh, the first reason to be optimistic about the Marlins' future is the prospects. And I know that's a hot topic in Miami because we're not that team going out there for big free agents like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. We're going after the young players on our team, just like the announcer said. If you guys are watching the Marlins games, we have not had our own broadcasters for the games. We've had the Cardinals and the Rays, and they were all they were talking about was our prospects, about how young we are and how the growing pains are definitely in effect. And I think that's a reason is that our prospect, people are overlooking our farm system. Our farm system is strong. And these guys are going to progress very well. We have people like Gary Denbo down there, who was recently working with the Yankees, which I think is going to be a big help as well. Because if you look at the Yankee farm system back then when he was there, it was amazing. So I think that's definitely one reason to be optimistic is that the farm system is looking very good now. Yeah, I agreed with you on that. The fact that if you look at any reputable outlet, whether it's MLB.com, Baseball America, Baseball Perspectives, uh, 2080 Baseball, they're in the top half of farm system strength overall, even if they don't have these like automatic superstars. Again, it's about the depth that they have. It's about all these guys at uh, different positions that project to be quality big leaguers at all these different positions. And when you have that strength in numbers, you – can, you're going to have a surplus of players, guys that you could trade away even uh, in order to address other needs, guys that you could package together to get a, a superstar in the same kind of a, the reverse of what we saw in this rebuild where they're trading away some of their best players. Uh, very soon from now, they'll be in that opposite position where they're going to be trying to add that proven talent, and they have, I would say, this ammunition to do it. Uh, so for the number two reason to be optimistic, and I think we could go more than five if we had to, but to go with number two, I would point to the ballpark enhancements, which is a big project that they undertook this offseason, which is to change what it's like to be a fan at Marlins Park. Uh, anybody uh, in the fan base or outside of it knows about the attendance issues that they've had historically, uh, even before the new stadium, but it's been even magnified with the new stadium, and it really reached a new level of embarrassment last year when, when they only averaged about 10,000 fans a game which was one of the lowest totals in recent baseball history and the lowest in the franchise history. And But now the new administration is trying to change that. They took a lot of steps this offseason to change what Marlins Park looked like. You know that somewhat if you were someone that was at FanFest, if any of you listeners were there. If you weren't there at FanFest, then you're going to be surprised about a month from now when the season opens and they debut all the differences with the home run sculpture being gone but being replaced by seating that people actually wanted, standing well, technically standing room only sections that people wanted in order to get in cheaply to the ballpark, but also have a great view and great amenities. They made changes to the concessions to make a lot of the common food items more affordable, and that's a big sticking point if you're looking to bring your family to Marlins Park and you want them to compare with other entertainment options you can find in South Florida, this is one way to do it, by make it really cost-efficient, but yet still really satisfying. The changing of the color scheme in the ballpark, bringing in more blue and taking out some of the lime green that was on the walls, and I guess most importantly is the upcoming section that they're building, Communicad 305, where they want to bring the noise back into Marlins Park. They're encouraging people to bring noise-making machines to bring their own props in order to create like a real home field advantage. And that's what this is all getting back for, is um, creating an environment that people want to go to, and then when they fill it up, creating a real home field advantage that they have not had since this new Paul Park came around, probably since they haven't had it in about 15 years since they won a World Series and had all that enthusiasm in the ballpark. 
So this is all aimed at ch- at changing that, and uh, it's one reason to think that as long as they keep up with those changes and they continue to listen to fans in order to optimize that situation and make it as comfortable as possible, that it, it's going to result in more wins. It's going to really help the talent that they have get the most out of themselves because they're in an environment where people are rooting for them and making it uncomfortable for the other team that's visiting. Just going back to the noisemakers that you brought up, I think that's one of the best ideas they've done. You know, getting the home field advantage has been relatively quiet. At, when the, you know, we're down to a final strike to get the save opportunity or we need to run and you got you know, base loaded, let's say. It's been relatively quiet. You know, you got people cheering, and you said the attendance rate being low, but yeah, I got to agree with you. The new stadium and everything going on with that is definitely a huge improvement to the stadium and the future for the fish. I think it's definitely going to bring in so many more fans. And that could be one reason to bring in fans this season is the stadium. It can be much more nicer there, comfortable. Uh, the noisemaker, I think, and the standing room sections, I think that's definitely fantastic moves on the ownership by the Marlins. Going to the third reason why to be optimistic is the new TV deal and more money coming in for the fish. As you guys all know, the Marlins are on one of the worst TV deals with Fox Sports in in the MLB, and that is that will be changing in the upcoming years. When 2020, actually next year, we'll be getting the new TV deal, and you know this is definitely more encouraging signs with us. We are going to try and sign a much better deal with that. More money should be coming in, you know, the ownership and. And one of the reasons we had to get rid of our players was that Jeter was had no control. We were, we were, no, we were in debt. We had no money to pay the players. And I don't think anybody really sees that when you say you traded away all your MVP players. We didn't have the money to keep them. And I definitely think with the rebuild, we're you know we're getting back on track because of all the stuff Lori has done with the team, putting them in the wrong direction. But another reason is you know the new TV deal and the more money coming in. Yeah, I mean that's an excellent point. Really. Um to be honest, compared to every other team out there, that's a weakness for them in that they're making less money on their current contract than any other team in any other market, even all these small towns in the middle of nowhere. And uh, even compared, especially to in Florida, the Tampa Bay Rays, who just signed a new deal that's close to $80 million annually, which is about four times what the Marlins are currently making. And that's a competitive disadvantage for the Marlins, where uh, even if they have people watching, and the ratings aren't great for people watching at home, but there's no doubt that they're being like undercompensated for the kind of audience that they're bringing in, and that's going to change because of the trends across the entire sport, where these mammoth deals come in, and that really changes the kind of flexibility that ownership has. Uh, I guess uh, moving on to number four, the reason I would go to about being optimistic about the Marlins is that Every other team in their division is trying to win right now. And the way that baseball works, um, there's a certain amount of competitive balance here where in order to get good right now, you have to spend more money than your competitive teams are, and you need to sacrifice the kind of prospects that you want to build around in order to get proven talent. And what you saw this offseason in the NL East is all four teams taking steps to get good now, but kind of sacrificing what they have to build with long-term. With the Braves signing Josh Donaldson to $23 million for just this one season, a kind of contract they hadn't given out to any other player before for just a one-year commitment. The Mets trading uh, several of their very best prospects in order to get Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, uh, spending to sign in free agency Jed Lowry. I mean, all this stuff adds up for a team that, even though they've been in New York, they've never had that mammoth payroll to sustain themselves and to make up for their mistakes. If they don't make sound investments, it comes back to bite them, and uh, maybe that will happen again. With the Phillies, of course, they traded to get Real Muto, in addition to a lot of big free agent spending on their part, that uh, after being out of the playoffs now for, I think, the last six years, they're, they're making a really hard push to get in now, but Real Muto would be a free agent again in a couple of years. Are they going to be able to keep him, in addition to everybody else they had? Um they, they're really right now also trying to close in on Bryce Harper, too, which would make them, again, a lot better right now. But that stuff comes back to bite them when you make these big commitments. And then the it's all four teams in the division, both the Braves 
and the Mets and the Phillies and the Nationals as well, where the Nationals might be the ones losing Bryce Harper, but they've funneled a lot of those resources into Patrick Corbin, who took a huge six-year contract and has a big injury history on him. And they had a lot of big commitments already on the books for themselves of guys that are aging past their prime. We have all four of these teams that are like looking to be really good right now. They might be beating up on the Marlins pretty badly in 2019, but all of this is cyclical, and it takes really special leadership to kind of overcome that and try to stay ahead of the curve. But um, some of these executives just don't have a track record of doing that. And uh, sooner or not, the Marlins, if they continue to build internally, they're going to catch up behind these guys, and they're going to be the ones leapfrogging them. And it will just be a total role reversal from what we're seeing right now. And that time really isn't that far away. Yeah, and you're making an excellent point about the players being – the teams being good right now and competing right now because that gives the Marlins an opportunity to compete in the future. I know the Braves have a really nice farm system, but then, you know, they're trying to win now. They're going to be competing with us in the future, but you got teams like the Mets who are kind of selling their farm a little bit. The Nationals got their players coming up like Carter Keeboom and Victor Robles and – you know, you got us there and the Braves and the Mets and then the Nationals and and the Phillies, of course. Well, they just give us their top prospects. And that is, that is, that's a great reason because now we have chances to compete in the future. But yeah, that's an excellent point you made there. And my fifth reason to be excited about – optimistic about Mullins going into the season, I don't want to necessarily say players are getting older, but the good players right now in the division – are getting past their prime and that the Marlins should be taking advantage of it as they're watching all the teams right now. Like the Astros, of course, they're going to be on top for a while, but you got like teams with more veteran kind of players that are, that are competing now. I kind of like to jump off what you said here. And that's definitely encouraging for the Marlins because, you know, you got teams with a lot of great prospects like the Padres. The teams competing now, say the Yankees, maybe they're not going to be so hot in three to four years and the Marlins are. You know, the Marlins may be winning the division when the Yankees are maybe third or fourth in the division. You don't know that. So definitely reason to be excited about the future of the Marlins is that we are we are young, we are developing well right now, and we're developing upcoming franchise. I know you've been hearing that for years, back then, 2013 and everything. You're coming in, you're definitely changing the landscape. You should be excited. You should be optimistic about the future of the Marlins and I think this is just a, things are going in our favor right now for the fish. I know it doesn't look like we're winning games right now and we're losing but I'm telling you right now this is this is part of the process and we are going to be a winning franchise in the future I will tell you that. Yeah and if, if you want one other like specific thing that could be different from what we saw in past years when they fall short, it would be the international market. Now that's how they got the Mesa brothers to sign as international free agents. And that's something under Jeffrey Loria, the franchise totally dismissed where it was too complicated for them to have staffs overseas and evaluating these players. Uh, They didn't really see the value in doing that and focus strictly on the draft, but that's just not reality in baseball anymore. You need talent from anywhere. And the fact that under new leadership, they are kind of allocating those resources to scout those areas in Latin America and beyond to finding these young players. And especially in the Dominican Republic, where they're setting up a bigger academy than they've ever had before in order, in order to train these guys as teenagers and mold them into really impact players down the road, that's something that's going to pay off long term. Again, it's something that was completely ignored back in the day. And we saw the effect of that, where they just did not have the depth. They did not have legitimate major league talent in the same way they they do coming through the system right now because they neglected all those players. So a new signing period, as they call it, opens up in July, and they're going to have an opportunity to bring in new players uh, in that class at really good value, and we'll see what happens down the road. Mm-hmm. And before we end to our next topic, we will be talking about the most overlooked pitcher on the roster, and for the near future, that is going to be a huge help in the future. But before we get to that, we're going to jump into one more small break here, and we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Jake from the Amazing Mets Podcast. 
this Thursday at 7 p.m., John and I will be taking an in-depth look into everything that has happened Mets-wise so far in spring training. Make sure to tune in this Thursday to find out our thoughts on spring training so far. All right, guys, we are back from the short break here, and I want to talk about actually two topics. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the most overlooked pitcher on this on this team that could definitely be a huge help in this year and in the future. And then we will be talking about the pitcher with the biggest you know the biggest upside going into the near future as the eighth. So right now, um, I guess I'm going to start off with the most overlooked pitcher on this team that no one has really been eyeing, and you know this. Like this pitcher, in my opinion, who wasn't necessarily a top prospect on the team, and I think that him coming in now is definitely maybe he's a veteran, but I think the most overlooked pitcher on this roster has to be Dan Straley. You know, people are underrating him, and I was it was choosing between Dan Straley and Caleb Smith. Both those guys, I can actually choose both those guys. This guy, both of them are very overlooked, in my opinion. Everyone there's saying that we're going to trade Straley, and no one's really. Like not, except for us Mullins fans, no one's really seen what he's done for us. You know, he hasn't. He's been a pretty nice pitcher for us, going long innings, at least six or seven innings a game. And I think he's very overlooked on this roster. No one's really paying attention to Dan Fraley. I know he's on top of the rotation, but he's just very, very overlooked. People are just looking at Jose Urania and Alcantara, and both him and Kelly Smith. I think are very overlooked pitchers on the team, and I think those guys are definitely could help us out this season a lot, and hopefully in the near future. Well, firstly, I think you have to dive a little deeper. People know that Dan Straley is a veteran starter who's, for the most part, aside from early last year, he's been really durable. And Caleb Smith, when he was healthy last year, is arguably the best pitcher on the team, ending for ending before that injury, a guy that really misses bats in a way that this team needs both with the ability to locate that fastball and to pair it with a breaking ball. And uh, both those guys look into – they really study their craft well, uh, something that I noticed this off season, And I don't think I'm the only one that notices that. I think it goes a little outside the group that you're thinking of. I want to go more off the grid with someone that's overlooked. And he's mm-hmm. a guy that's not even on the roster right now, but he's invited to Major League Spring Training. His name is Hector Noesi. He's a guy that had major league experience uh, really early this decade, but the last three years he was over in Korea. Korea, in most people's opinion, is a secondary league to major league baseball, but increasingly they bring over guys that pitched in the majors and have that experience. And what he was the last three years is he was a great workhorse for his team in Korea, a guy that took the ball every fifth day, um, in Korea, sometimes it's every sixth day, but he, he's a guy that gave a lot of innings to his team, and uh, he carried that over into the Dominican Republic this off season, where they had their own winter league. And within just a few starts, he was the guy that the Marlins noticed what he was doing overseas, both in Korea and then the Dominican Republic. They gave him an invite to spring training. He's not on the roster right now, but for a guy that's shown he's durable in the same way that maybe Dan Straley is, he could be a poor man's Dan Straley. A guy that with, without the high quality highlights because he was pitching overseas, and someone that um, kind of likes Straley doesn't rely too heavily on strikeouts. He's the one that pitches to contact and needs his ground balls. He focuses on keeping the ball in the ballpark. He's a guy that I wouldn't expect on the opening day roster, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's in the rotation at some point this year, just because he had this track record of doing that the last three years. And he's a guy that is in his 30s. They're not worried about him developing. He's a guy that holds the place in a rotation so that they could protect their younger arms. But if you want one guy that's really off the grid that I think is – he couldn't possibly be more overlooked because a lot of guys don't even know he's with the Marlins right now, I would go with Hector Noesi. Very interesting name there as kind of unknown for other people. I bet you some Marlins fans don't even recognize who he was. And to tell you the truth, I do remember – of course, getting him, but I have not looked into him as much at all. Uh, I didn't see him in the spring training game yet, but hopefully he comes in. I can get a look at him. Definitely encouraging words for him. Uh, before we move on to the top pitchers of the future, the one starting pitcher that I think is going to impact the future a little bit, I want to talk a little bit. I know this is very far-fetched here, and I just want to cover this up a little bit. 
about the MLB draft coming up. And I know it's all the way in June, I think. And, you know, I think we're still a long time away, but I want to get a very early idea of what you think we should get. And looking at the position, I wasn't too excited that we got an outfielder last year. I, I, I am a fan of Connor Scott. I do think it was a nice pick, but I didn't really want to take an outfielder last year. I wanted to take Brady Singer, but he went to the Royals which we saw, but this year I believe that the Marlins should take a shortstop. And I don't know if you're familiar with C.J. Abrams or Bobby Wood Jr. Those two definitely have very high potential, uh, high ceilings in the future. And I was just wondering if you think Miami should take a shortstop this year in the MLB draft. Well, I generally don't care for the strategy of targeting one position because there are 40 rounds the MLB draft. And he Eventually, if you're a really competent organization, you're going to find value in the deeper rounds as well. So, in all those, if you realize, as I think we all do agree, that that is a weakness for the organization at shortstop, where in the organization right now, there's some guys you like, like Jose Devers could be something. Last year, they spent an mm-hmm. early round pick on Osiris Johnson. Those are guys that could be, they could be major league shortstops down the line, but they don't have that kind of superstar ceiling that you really want. They don't. Um, you don't have full faith in them, and I can see why you want to add more depth to that position. I don't think you necessarily have to care uh, about the position at the top of the draft, where they're picking number four overall. You just want to make sure with that number four pick, which is going to be one of the highest overall draft picks they've had in franchise history, you just want to make sure that guy is as close to a lock as possible to be, to be a star. And uh, with both of those guys, I think at least one of them would probably be around by the time the number four pick goes up. You don't know exactly how the order is going to shake out this far in advance. We're still another three-plus months away. Uh, but I think it's a safe bet that DeWitt or that Witt or uh, uh, Abrams would be around at number four. And that doesn't necess- I don't think they're necessarily a bad pick, but I would let, let it play out a little bit. With the, they're still very early on in their senior season, so you let it play out a little bit more. And at the end of the day, I just don't think you care – that particular pick – it's more about talent over everything else, talent over position, well, talent and character, all the little things that matter with being a successful player. But it's a long draft. They have three picks in the top 50. Aside from that first one, they have a high second-round pick, and then they have a comp- competitive balance pick. So with those two, you're still going to be have access to almost anybody in the entire country. And those – also, you have promising shortstops that will be around a little deeper into the draft. So don't get – I wouldn't prioritize one position too much over the other, but, I mean, absolutely that one pick, number four overall, is going to be one of the more important decisions that they make all year in any aspect of baseball. It's very important. Yeah, you know, you expect a superstar out of them, and, you know, Miami drafted some top players that haven't turned out to be anything yet due to injuries and People like Tyler, a player like Tyler Kolek, who he took with the second overall pick, I believe in 2015 or 14, and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. You know, he's been hurt. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, you got a lot of rounds. You guys got like Osiris Johnson, who is a nice shortstop to have. Will Banfield, who's a nice catcher as well, that I'm very much looking forward to as well. But yeah, you got a lot of rounds here. But I definitely think it would be a nice fan pick as well to get a top shortstop prospect so people to look forward to. So when you're looking at the prospect watch, you see that guy on there saying, hey, this is our future shortstop. Like Mets fans were saying with Ahmed Rosario, this is our future shortstop. And I understand second round, third round, you definitely have some very underrated players that can go in that round. Like Mookie Betts, he went in the third or fourth round. And uh, that's not the, I guarantee you that's not the only player to do that. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of draft picks in the MLB, and I know it's three months away, very far-fetched at this point, but it's definitely just something to keep in mind with such a high pick for the Marlins. Changing back to the starting pitchers, uh, I'm going to – are we going to give our opinions on this? One starting pitcher that you believe, just say one starting pitcher that you believe will be a humongous impact in the future for the Marlins and will be leading that rotation for the fish. And now this, I was uh, – I had to do quite a thinking for this. It came down to two pitchers, and the two pitchers were Sixo Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara. Both pitchers, I think, have some humongous ceilings, 
But I had to go with Sandy Alcantara or Sandy Alcantara, however people like to say it. But Sico Sanchez, I do 100% believe he's going to be a one or two pitcher for us in the future of the fish. And it's going to be a battle between Alcantara and Sico Sanchez because Sandy Alcantara has just a different kind of pitcher for me. That guy knows how to he knows how to play the game. Him being young, so is Sixto being 20 years old. Both those guys are going to be great impacts for the fish in the future. But I think Sandy Alcantara is going to be the lead man. He's going to be the face of the franchise. He's going to be the guy to replace Jose in that spot as the as the ace for the fish. We needed an ace for years. Jose Urania, in my opinion, will stay on the team, but he won't be the ace once these guys are bigger and have developed into young superstars. And I think Alcantara's got at least two more years until he finds himself on top of the rotation. Maybe even one. Maybe after this season, he will he will you know come in and be checkmarked as the ace of the roster. But my opinion is that Sandy Alcantara has what it takes to be the next franchise ace for the Marlins. If I had to choose between those two, I think I would definitely go with Sixto over Sandy. And it's it's nothing against. Sandy, yeah, things you said about him are accurate. What we saw with him in his first spring start was very encouraging. But Sixto was so advanced, not just with his pure stuff, which I think rivals Sandy's, but the fact that he can really control it at such a young age. With just 20 years old, and he's someone that, with three different pitches, he can put it where he wants to. He's not a guy that's going to give out those free passes or work into really ugly counts that gets him out of the game early. And that's really the most important thing to me is that he doesn't waste pitches the way that Sandy sometimes does. Um, I think you're going to get more consistency from Sixto, and um, there have been comps drawn, comparisons between him and someone like Luis Severino, who's a bona fide ace now with the Yankees, and I think that's a really accurate comparison as long as Sixto stays healthy. And that health concern is a big question mark for anybody, um, but looking closely at his mechanics and at his track record and at the research. We, we did that on fishstripes.com really recently. I, I came away pretty satisfied with what I saw with Sixto and encouraged about what he's going to be moving forward, that he's going to reach that potential. Uh, already such a complete pitcher that as soon as he moves up to higher levels of competition, he's going to be ready for it. The one other name I wanted to put out there that might not have the same type of ceiling as Sandy or Sixto would be Pablo Lopez, someone that made a couple more starts last year than even Sandy did in the majors with some mixed results. He had a couple where he was really terrific, others where he got hit very hard, and then his season ended early because he had a little bit of a shoulder concern. But talking with the Marlins, they have been very clear that it was not a significant injury. They were just being precautionary with him. And what stands out when you meet Pablo, and when you speak to him, and when you just follow him closely, is that he is so smart. And we're entering an era in baseball where data is really important to getting the most out of yourself as a player. And he's a guy that doesn't have the same fastball velocity, and you know he just does not have the quite the same gifts as some of the other guys you're talking about. But he has a terrific breaking ball. He has four different pitches overall that he trusts. He pounds his own by throwing strikes. He put up better minor league numbers last year than Sandy did, and he's just as young as Sandy ha- Sandy is. So he's someone that I would not be surprised at all if he continues getting better these next few years. If he's not a number one pitcher, maybe he's a number two, or maybe he uh, even if the staff itself doesn't have that obvious superstar, that he steps up, and he's the closest thing they have to an ace, and that's good enough if they have enough depth in their rotation but he's a guy that's just going to keep getting better. He's going to keep studying, and he's going to keep refining his game and get the absolute most out of his ability, and he's motivated to do it. Yeah, and to add one more thing before we close up shop here, Sixo Sanchez, I was not bashing at all. I know you pointed that out earlier. He's got pure stuff. You know, I, he's nasty. His fastball is nasty. He's 100 miles an hour each pitch and his fastball, and I just think both those guys are definitely future aces. Nothing against Pablo Lopez. I think he's a great pitcher as well, and he definitely has a future here in Miami. But with that being said, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Mullins Catch. I would like to thank Eli Sussman, as that's how you pronounce it, for coming on tonight. Definitely great to chat with him tonight as he's, you know, make sure to head over to fishstripes.com, check out the articles there. They're great articles. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for the Mullins Catch Podcast. 
Make sure to tune in next week here on Monday night at 7.30 p.m. of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram. Nick, at Marlins Double Underscore News. And Eli, at Fish Stripes. Be sure to follow the Marlins Catch on their Instagram as well, at the Marlins Catch. For more of the Marlins Catch content, be sure to head over to the